So, Yoga Maya, very important to us. We should follow the Leela like this. Now, you should read that chapter of Bhagavatam, of Krishna book. Who is Yoga Maya? We think Durga, Yoga Maya, yes, but Durga, but she's not important to us. But actually, Durga is important to us also. Durga means Durga. Dur means difficult, and Ga means to go, difficult to go from. But it means difficult to go to also. So, Durga is also another name for Radha. This Yogamaya is, is like Prabhupada used to give example of electricity. It has the power to cool and the power to warm. It's the one current, but it can cool or it can warm. So in material life, this is mostly what the Krishna is talking about here. I delude people by the power. Here Yogamaya means the power of my Maya. Yoga also means power. The power of my Maya, I delude people. I don't show myself to everyone. But it also means his internal Yogamaya because... By his yoga maya appears as a human being, human-like, I should say, and it's very difficult to understand that. That requires good company, good association, so that we can get aprakrita shraddha, extraordinary faith, and then study Krishna Leela without making a mistake of thinking that he's ordinary. That comes by sadhu sangha. And by that good sadhu sangha and study that way, we can enter into the real inner spirit of yoga maya. Durga means radha also, difficult to go to. There's another name for radha. The Gopal Mantra we receive, we receive Gopal Mantra as the principal Diksha Mantra in our Sampradaya. Some of all of you have been initiated in Mantra Diksha, you've got that mantra amongst others. We call it Krishna Mantra or Gopal Mantra. The presiding deity of that mantra is Durga. So, you see, we have to have a kind of a holistic understanding of Krishna consciousness. We have to honor the material Shakti of Krishna, also have some deep regard for that. Marish hmm. Pritchett was fascinated by that. He asked to hear more information about that Shakti also. We often were raised to think, or we thought we were raised to think, that demigods were Maya. And there are many examples of them being in Maya, but those are examples to teach us, such as the nature of Vishnu Maya. Very powerful. So, here Krishna said, Yoga Maya Samadha, but I'm covered by my Yoga Maya. So when I read this, then we... They say we go to Krishna Leela, then we think everything about Yoga Maya that we can think and talk about. and We could say more, but I've talked for quite some time now. And I don't want to lose your attention, so let me stop there and encourage you. you please take my advice. I make my humble request that you go and, and you read that chapter, next chapter of Bhagavatam, about Yoga Maya's appearance. And uh, then the next chapter, and next chapter, and I'll see you next year. <laughs> At this time. Are there any questions? Yeah. What was the mantra that you were just referring to when you said, I'll take an initiation of the Gopal mantra? What did you mean? Gopal mantra is um, it's the main mantra of our Sampradaya. It's 18 syllable mantra. Gopal mantra. We say Krishna Nam. And we take Hare Krishna Mantra. Hare Krishna Mantra is a, is a Nam Mantra. So it's just the names of Krishna. There's no appeal in there. But in the Diksha Mantras that we receive, then there's some, there's some petition. It's a, it's a formula. It's an arrangement of Krishna's names, largely, or Gaur names. We have the Gaur Mantra, Gaur Gayatri, Guru Mantra, Guru Gayatri, Brahma Gayatri, Bhuva Bhuva Swa, Guru Mantra, Guru Gayatri, Gaur Mantra, Gaur Gayatri, Krishna Mantra, or more well known as Gopal Mantra, and Krishna Gayatri, or better known as Kam Gayatri, the Kam Bij.
these mantras are prefaced by the Kam Bij. So Gopal Mantra is 18-syllable mantra. If you chant the Mantra Diksha given by Prabhupada, then you chant one mantra. Think of the first one. Two, three, four, five, sixth mantra. That is a Gopal Mantra. Seventh mantra is the Gayatri that corresponds with that mantra. Both of those, they're prefaced by Kamabij, clean. So Gopal Mantra, it's made of names of Krishna. Krishna, Govinda, Gopijana Vallava. In the dative, it means case, dative case. Krishnaya, Govindaya, Gopijana Vallavaya. It's a big topic. <laughs> Swaha, it's a big, big topic. So this is a main, a main mantra of our Sampradaya. In other words, everybody in Gaudi Sampradaya, any branch gets that mantra. There may be others also given and so forth. Everybody gets that. Gopal mantra. And the presiding deity is Durga. That mantra should be chanted with, as all of them, all of our Diksha mantras, with great attention. I happen to be writing a commentary on a book called Gopal Tapani Upanishad at this time. It's the, it's the most important Upanishad for Gaudi Vaishnavas very much deals with the heart of Gaudiya Vaishnavism in, in Upanishadic language. And the first part of that is all about the Gopal Mantra, so it'll come out shortly. In fact, uh, <laughs> Karnamrita has currently uh, expressed his desire to help me to, to manifest that So, in some way. So I'm quite far along in it now. It'll be the next book that we, we publish. So that's the Gopal Mantra. You know the one I'm talking about mm-hmm. now. Right. Yes. You, you quoted Vishnu Chakravarti's Vishwam Purana. You see, the world is a very happy place. Mm, full of joy. And at the same time, it's called Martilokam. Mm. So there seems to be a tension there. How do we retain or how do we re- meet and face that suffering that we see and simultaneously communicate that? vision of joyfulness or Well, when we speak of that statement of Vishnu Chakravitaka, we're talking about a realization, an angle of vision that's not shared by everyone, not even, to speak of everyone, not even sadhakas, who are very special people in the world. It's a vision that we want to arrive at, artificially arrive at that by some mental or intellectual adjustment. So we have to move in such a way that that will be fostered and that may in some instances appear to cause one to act as if the world is not a place of joy that it's a place of suffering and to avoid certain things and to tell people that it's a world of suffering and so forth so it's a realization and we can't as I say arrive at that artificially we should arrive at that practically it's a stage in which there isn't the kind of discrimination that calls progress because it's the attainment. You follow? So discrimination calls our progress. We have three stages in bhakti. Sadhana bhakti, in different ways of course of talking about this is one way. Sadhana bhakti, bhava bhakti, prema bhakti. And we have another way of talking about it. We have Kanishtadikari, Madhyamadikari, Uttamadikari. Do you all understand these terms? Anybody doesn't? It means like beginner, 
intermediate, advanced, superlative. So the Kanishtadikari is characterized by lack of discrimination. Uttamadikari is characterized by lack of discrimination. <laughs> and the Madhumadikari is characterized by discrimination. For the Kanishtadikari, it's inappropriate lack of discrimination. And for the Uttamadikari, it's appropriate lack of discrimination. For the Kanishtadikari, he can't discriminate. There are many people, for example, there are many people who say that they're devotees of Krishna. But some, maybe some persons who say that and think that may be good company, and some may not be good company for me. So I have to exercise some discrimination with regard to an important principle, sadhusanga, that's advocated everywhere. So the Kanishtadikari doesn't know how to exercise that kind of discrimination appropriately. So he doesn't, or she doesn't call his or her progress readily. And also discrimination means what? It means that it's a function of intellect. So the intellect must become involved in Krishna consciousness. We like to keep busy in Krishna consciousness. Sometimes we don't like to think about it. When we think about it, we think we're not getting anywhere. And <laughs> maybe frustrating, but it may be good to think like that. It certainly does call for applying ourselves fully from not only a physical point of view, but an intellectual point of view. So it means that means we have books also. This is an exercise in Krishna consciousness for the intellect to study the books. We have faith, a simple faith, as our heart that makes us a devotee, that shraddha. But in order to strengthen that faith, we have to exercise our, our intellect also. This is like if you take metal and you put it in a fire, then it starts to melt. Just as it starts to melt, you bring it out, it becomes harder, stronger. So if you take our faith, we have to put it in the fire of examining it, what it is, why I think like this, why I should believe in this scripture. This is important. Hmm? Why I should be a devotee. Why... You see, if you meet a great devotee, then it's, you don't have those problems. By the influence of his bhava, it's just a good thing to become a devotee. You don't even have to think about it. I like this person. I want to be around him. In fact, it's as if he answered every question definitively, and there's, no more, there's nobody else that has anything to say on the matter. <laughs> there's so many things to say about it, about everything, from every angle. Every system of philosophy has its flaws, its defects, its shortcomings. Krishna consciousness is not an exception to that. Krishna consciousness teaches that. <laughs> that very principle. And is applied to itself also. It answers all the questions in one sense to us because we have a certain psychology. Psychology is a product of our sukriti. Our affiliation with this through the company of great souls in past lives or in this lives. So we become prone to a certain type of psychology. It all makes sense to us. The logic is perfect and so forth. But it's really... Philosophy is, a, is an attempt to articulate the experience of, of love. And that is never going to be adequate, an adequate way of conveying the experience. If you enter into the land of faith and love and you come back from that to talk about it, then, oh, yeah, what a frustration it is to try to explain it. We do. We try to explain it. We try to make it in a logical presentation to appeal to people who speak the common language of humanity, logic, 
that they may realize their full potential as humans to speak the language of love. So there must be love behind that logical arrangement of words that we speak. There must be some shakti, some experience, not just theoretical knowledge. So that even if you nod your head the other way and you don't agree, something goes in anyway. And you're captured by that. And that would happen to us sometimes, some of us. You might not have agreed with Prabhupada, but you just denied that part. But you liked him. (laughs) He was charming, compelling, and you felt safe in his company. Secure and funny, but secure, but on a wild ride at the same time. Could turn anyway at any time, but you were ready for that. This is the nature of love. You see, it's securing, stabilizing, but destabilizing at the same time. It's just like this, like a roller coaster, but you can't get off. It's like kids; they want to ride it. You know, it's horrible. <laughs> they want to stay on. It's like you could be thrown off at any time. But there's a buckle on there. It's okay. <laughs> so. Many of us have such experience in the company of such a person, like Prabhupada, we were captured like that. And now, after so many years, you see, we start to think about it. (laughs) What was that? (laughs) What was that experience that made me forget about everything that's important in life? (laughs) (laughs) An education, a job, a livelihood. How could I think that I I would just go through life like this? That is yoga maya. <laughs> so we should think about that. But, but if we had enough experience, then we keep coming back to that. We think about that. And maybe we see, oh, there's some logic to it, yes. And I like it. Maybe I, I can't convince everybody. Maybe the, uh, some it's incomplete in some senses in terms of logic and reasoning, like every system of philosophy is. But I like it. It means anyway. It doesn't have to make sense. That's our bottom line. Life doesn't make sense anyway. That's our whole teaching, because it's about love, and love just doesn't make sense. It transcends reason. Hmm? And we're happy for that. Of everything answered to reason, not a dry world it would be. Hmm? No, we're not interested in that. This is our brand of faith, our experience, our ideal. What Mahaprabhu has come to give. So now we, I'm talking to some of my god-brothers and god-sisters, of course, who have been involved for so many years. We come back and we think about it. And we, we have a mind to do that also. So with experience and wisdom and so forth, to think about it. Think about it in good company. That's a good idea. Think about it in good company. It's everything that Prabhupada, whoever was before him, who has come after him with, us, with substance, says it is. It's capable of fully consuming you and answering all the questions. It's worthy of being involved in. Make the intellectual exercise in such a way that your faith becomes strong. If you do that outside of good company, you can become an atheist. You see, because the nature of the thing that we're after, it does transcend reason. So if you insist merely that it answers to reason, then it'll go away from you. It will fly away. I'm not for that. Even the soul does not answer, Krishna says. Soul is not answer to reason. Because why? Does it have to? Our theory is that it's ontologically, it's categorically different from, superior to reason. What to speak of God? It doesn't have to answer to reason. It's kindness. Krishna's kindnesses 
Oh, that he gives some reasoning. For people who insist upon that, it has to make sense. And of course, much of it does make sense. That's another thing. Much of it does make sense. A lot of sense. It makes sense that if you want, and you have a sense, as every human being does, that life should be enduring. We want to live. And we're struggling against the threat of non-existence with every breath we take. That's what we're doing. It appears that we're living in a plane where our existence is threatened. And we're struggling. We're against that. Life is against that. This is the very core of life. We walk today in the park. Conamrita was kind enough to take me on a walk in the park. And then we saw huge blocks of granite at one place. And trees growing out of that granite. They want to live, to survive, and they find a way somehow or other. Somehow or other. We are accustomed to so many comforts that we think that life is dependent upon. But really it's dependent upon food. <laughs> if we don't eat, we don't live. And we have certain tastes, we won't eat that. We won't. But if you're hungry, then you eat. <laughs> and life can adopt to so many conditions. And regardless of how difficult the situation is materially, it finds a way to thrive somehow or other. It finds a way to thrive. So we all, as living beings, we have a sense. The nature of life is that it's enduring. It appears superficially that's not the case. People come, people go, but we can't accept that. To accept that is to go against the very nature of what it means to live. We have a sense that it's enduring. Now this makes sense, that we can't find it in a life that's defined by our relationship with things that are here today and gone tomorrow. You see, controlling the senses, the full sense of that, that makes sense. If you want to have an enduring life and pleasure, then does it make sense that you will get it in relation to things that are here today and gone tomorrow? You married a beautiful lady beautiful girl or a handsome young man and then she turned into an old hag and he turned into a couch potato and it's just like huh the whole thing changed this is just a crude example forgive me (laughs) it happens I loved him I loved her and then turns into I can't stand him I can't stand her this is going on we have to focus our pursuit somewhere other than these in these appearances of reality. We are enduring. We have to find something. This makes sense. So as much of Krishna consciousness makes good sense to us. Apply yourself in terms of those basic concepts. But in the context of Krishna consciousness, and you see the rest of it, transcends making sense in a happy way, a very happy way. So you use your good common sense, your reasoning, and, and try to exercise it in good company, in sadhusanga, that is a, my suggestion. And then you will find, oh yes, everything that you thought about it or didn't bother to think about it, just felt it was good, caused you to get involved. It's all true and more. You see how Hare Krishna movement has is irrelevant in many respects in the modern society. People, a lot of people look at it and they just think it's something that happened in the 60s and some people are still doing that. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I think. And to some extent, people have that perception because it's not as relative to us as it was at one time. That's why. If you meet someone whom it's relative to in every sense, 
and you find, oh, it has so much integrity to it, intellectual integrity, we can speak of it in contemporary language and apply it in a meaningful way, not in an artificial way or in a dogmatic way. So that thing that we like, but mm, it seems irrelevant, which causes us want to say, well, you know, I was affiliated with them, or, or to kind of push that aside, or that's us also. So in good company, see what happens is our interests. This is the business of sadhus to create interest, kindle that, to fan the spark in us and make us think about it again and say things like, "Wait a minute, I didn't. Is that the philosophy? I never heard it like that before." And you just think about it. And you have to ask a question. And you look up first yourself. <laughs> is he saying the right thing? Prabhupada told us only listen. <laughs> All these kind of things. So keep good company. And this is a very nice example. I'm not a good company, but people can be, you know, people can make mistakes, so don't blame you for for inviting me here. But rather find real good people, real good company. <laughs> invite them to your homes and hear about Krishna from them. That will be useful. And amongst yourselves also here. And even you have a temple and you don't go. And so there may be a reason for that, a good reason. So you don't need a temple. And George Harrison said it, you know, many years ago. You don't need a temple. Temples are for Kanishtadikaris, so be Madhyamadikaris. I don't say you shouldn't go to the temple. You should but you should make your heart a temple. Your home a temple. Keep good company with one another like this. Yeah. Institutions have the value. Without institutionalizing Gaudiya Vaishnavism it won't be accessible. The Goswamis institutionalized the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the form of their writing. They made books. That's a form of institutionalizing what they experienced in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He was like just ecstasy, like a great waterfall. You couldn't approach it, but you just, wow, just watch it. With their writing, they made a lake out of that water so that you could approach it, you could drink from it, you could bathe in it, you could swim in it, take advantage. It's a loose form of institutionalizing that ecstasy. In more modern years, we've seen very hard forms in the form of Godiamat, it's gone and so forth. Very structured, very organized. That has value also. But it can be, over, we can, and I know I'm not criticizing it's gone or any organization really, but I'm just kind of talking about my own persuasion in this regard. Looser form of institution may be more appropriate for the times. These things are all experiments by preachers for time and circumstance. These aren't the sum and substance of Krishna consciousness. A particular book, there can be another book on the same topic. A particular organization, institution, I mean, they have value, we should try to preserve the institution of our Guru Maharaj as far as possible. So that's for sure. But it's also possible that institutions can get in the way of the very ideal that they were founded to foster, the spontaneity that they were founded to give rise to, the liquidity. You see, when we were in Prabhupada's company, think about it, he had us sitting on the edge of our seats. If he says, stand up, we stand up, sit down, turn left, turn We were ready to go in any direction at any time. Prabhupada stressed distributing his books. If he had said one day, all right, now, distributing books is Maya. Burn the books. We would have burned all the books. No questions asked. That is the position that he had us in, you see. So fluid, so liquid. Now certain things in his mission worked, and so they became, yeah, that, that we do that. We don't do that. 
There are certain principles of Kodi Vaishnavism. We do this, we don't do that. There's some scope for that. And much as those things will foster love. You have to understand those things, the principle behind them, when to apply them, when not to, what the ideal is, how they're meant to foster love and so forth. This is what it means to become essential devotees, essence-seeking. So I, I just know a little bit that you have a temple, and according to Karnamrita, as my host, most of you don't go very often. But So then if, if for some reason, whatever it is, if, it's, if you don't go, then have gatherings like this that you find are essential and, and meaningful and come together in a looser form based on the teachings, the books, and that kind of thing. Uh, somehow or other, anyway, we should all stay connected in, in the culture of Krishna consciousness and develop interest in it so that our interest is at such a pitch that it will appear relevant to people because it's changing our lives in every respect in ways that are attractive that we wish we could be, that people wish I could be like that in ways that cause people to ask you what are you about anyway <laughs> what is it that makes you t instead of you know having to beat them over the head to tell them this is the dog this is the absolute truth it's all here buy this book you should give all your money for this book <laughs> every penny how much you got <laughs> I'm the strongest critic of myself, too. <laughs> I had something to do with selling Prophet's books. Yes? You talked about um, the nature of the <coughs> Krishna's uh, activities and his leela appearing to be like the world, in a sense, very much in the world. And even the poet, Fra Robert Frost, he said, Earth's the right place for love. I don't know where it's likely to go better. It was one of his poetic comments. And in Bhaktivinoda Thakur I read just recently, he said domesticity is the natural, the nature of the soul, domesticity, mm -hmm. domestic life. <clears throat> and we see in the room here, there's not a lot of sannyasis, ones in us. Most everyone is domestically inclined, and the people we meet in general are also domestically inclined. And in the domestic environment, we think we find love. Everybody's feeling that way and we share it and talk about it, and it's everywhere propagated. Is there a way, or is it wise, or how do we come to realize the connection between linking those two experiences, what we see as worldly life, and sharing it with others in a way that Krishna life makes sense for their spirituality without doing what you said, either beating the absolute truth, which we try not to do, or even imposing religious or spiritual ways to get to this that seems so alien. I, I'm not 100% sure how to ask it, but it, there's some... I'm not 100% sure what you're asking either. Right, but in a very general sense, what I want to say to you is that, because your question is about how to help other people become involved in Krishna consciousness, in one sense, and I think it's about people in the domestic environment and how to teach them how to become Krishna, convince them or inspire them to convert their domestic situation from one of being worldly into one of being essential and spiritual, short of their becoming like 
you know, the freak in the room, me, the odd, the odd person who doesn't have a, a, a family. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of things you can do, I suppose, and there are. It's good to sit around and talk about it and think about strategies for for involving other in Krishna consciousness, and it's consuming to do that. But I think the most important thing, really, and the most compelling thing is is to emphasize to you your own practice. And as I said, I think that there's enough of this spreading Krishna consciousness. It goes on automatically. It's just, I don't say we shouldn't spread Krishna consciousness. I'm involved in that myself. And, you know, but there has to be a balance of emphasis on practicing Krishna consciousness and going deeper with philosophy theoretically and in such a way that that theoretical knowledge fuels our practice and and I probably used the example of, we talked about this earlier, boiling the milk. So I say, let boiling the milk be the focus and let the overflow be the preaching. And I, I think that that's in one way, in one sense, what the movement was like when I joined it. I didn't know how to join. I, I tried to join, but nobody asked me to join. It's a long story. I told some of it the other night to Arjun City at her request, but festival in Berkeley for Lord Chaitanya on his appearance day. And all the devotees were chanting, and that's all they did. That was a festival. They just chanted and distributed halava. <laughs> and they didn't have a lot of books or anything about them. That's all they did. And I just, I just wanted to be involved. And I didn't know how, and nobody asked me, and nobody tried to convince me or anything of the sort. Everybody was chanting and dancing, and they were giving out this halava and eating it, and it was fueling their chanting and dancing <laughs> to the extreme. And uh, they had a lot of, this big, big murti of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who was posed like this with one hand up, gone to Mahabhav and one hand out to the people, mm-hmm. preaching. So I thought I'm kind of flower and I thought I want to join, I want to join. And this is, this is the God of the whole thing. So <laughs> I said, he's got his hand out, let me throw the flower. If he catches it in his hand, then I'll know I'm accepted. So I threw it and he caught it right in his hand. <laughs> it landed in his hand. I thought, I'm a, he's accepted me. I'm a member. So I joined the next day, which was my birthday. I joined, and I, I didn't know where to join or anything. And so, and so I went to my home, which was in Santa Cruz. This was in Berkeley. I went to the Santa Cruz Mountains where I was living, and I, I happened to have a copy of the Christian book that I had gotten from my brother. And previous to that festival, I had been reading it and explaining it to my, to my pregnant wife and whoever else would listen, as far as I understood it. I had a kind of a natural, you know, aptitude for it or liking for it. And so I just went back to my home and I gave classes on the Krishna book to whoever would listen. And I shaved my head, because I thought, I guess you're supposed to shave your head. And there was a guy who later, many years later, got initiated by Prabhupada. And, and in those days he had very long hair, as I did too, now that I think about it. But he had long hair until I shaved it. And when I shaved my hair, he said, you know, this, you know, you need this more than me. He revealed that he had a polyester piece of cloth that was uh, orange and that he used to put it on every now and then when he'd see the devotees chanting and, you know, jump in with the group. So he said, you know, you need, you need this more than I do. He said, you know, he got the head shaved and everything. So he gave me the dhoti. <laughs> so there I was, <laughs> living at home, you know. 
And so some devotees came from, from the L.A. Temple. They came to Santa Cruz to open the temple, a preaching center, and there was a traveling Sankirtan group of brahmacharis, and they heard about me up in the mountains there. So they came to seek me out and find me, and they told me, you got to do it like this, you got to do it like this. You can't just do it like this, you know. <laughs> I said, all right, you know, whatever. Right? So I was happy to find them and find out how to do it. <laughs> so anyway, anyway I, I joined like that. <laughs> I don't know how we, forgive me, forgot talking about that. Oh, in those days, as I as I say, it was the devotees were self in a big s sense absorbed. They were absorbed. And it was attractive. It was compelling. And um, not that they didn't preach, they did, and so forth. But that was the compelling thing to me. I remember in Los Angeles, I was taken to Los Angeles after, shortly thereafter to be initiated by Prabhupada, and he kept me there. And um, I remember the, the system was that, and any of you know Godbrother Ars named Bhubaneshwar? He lives in Vrindavan now, but he's a funny guy, and uh, he's a classic example. He came to the temple, he wanted to join. So we told him, okay, look, there's a van out there in the parking lot. You can stay in the van, and then we'll be convinced you're serious, and then you can join. And so we didn't preach, we were just too absorbed in arctics and chanting and, and so forth and that was the now we you know we work so much out of our way to convince people that Krishna consciousness is relevant or this is what it is and and we, we really use try to use our intelligence as we should to, to propagate Krishna consciousness thoughtfully but it's not really an intellectual affair that doesn't mean we shouldn't use our intelligence we should but it's really an affair of the heart it's who has feeling for this who's enthusiastic about this who has experience, is getting experience, oh, then that becomes contagious. That's, you know, how book distribution became popular. That's how it became popular also, I tell you. Prabhupada wanted his books distributed, but it wasn't that well known until Ramaswar started telling everybody. Prabhupada wants them distributed and writing all those letters and so forth. In the beginning days in Los Angeles, uh, when I came there, all the Grihasas were working in the incense business. And the, the temple programs were going on and so forth. And I came there and I didn't know how to do anything. I felt very unqualified. I thought they were all like gods and goddesses, all these qualified people. I never got uh, any, any higher education or anything. But I had a penchant for talking to people and I was enthusiastic to talk to people about Krishna and I just had some feeling for it. So I thought I ought to go out in the streets and talk to the people and uh, you know, sell them the books. It wasn't like they had a big Sankirtan party of vans going out and so many devotees in that temple. And that was the headquarters in America at that time. So I got enthusiastic about it and some other people just based on my enthusiasm wanted to get involved and then we, you know, we were told Prabhupada really wants this. So that fueled our enthusiasm also. We had this one little room and we created a room we called the Sankirtan room. There wasn't such a thing. We created it, and there the three or four of us that would go out all day on Sangirt, and we'd get together and, and afterwards, and we would like be glowing with enthusiasm, and uh, we would chant our rounds in a particular way that the others kind of looked at us like, "What are these people about?" <laughs> and so they wanted to know. They asked, and this way they got involved. Also, it was later some people who really like sought to market it with some intelligence. I don't know if it was the right approach, but and I have to say, that's important, but the most important thing is our own enthusiasm, our own experience. And 
tell a quick story in this regard. Prabhupada, another godbrother of mine, wanted to organize the book distribution in such a way that the devotees would be trained. You have to say this, you can't say that, and so they wouldn't say the wrong things and misrepresent and so forth. And he wanted to go to Prabhupada with me and talk to Prabhupada about it. And I said, I don't know, it doesn't sound right. I'm not, I'm not into that. But I went to Prabhupada for another reason on the next day, and, and this was in Vrindavan, and that devotee heard I went, so I guess he thought he was, I was talking about those things. But I wasn't, so he came, and Prabhupada said yes, and he had a question, and so that devotee who was a book distributor began to talk to Prabhupada about his plan for organizing the book distribution very systematically, and what the devotees would say, and wouldn't, as I mentioned. And the Prabhupada said, oh, it is artificial, he said. He said, just like Tripurari, uh, Marj, I was a new sannyasi at that time. Just like Archer Parimrisha, Tesham Satati Yuktanam, Vajatam Pritipuvakam, Dadami Buddhi Yogam Tam, Enamamupayantite. He said, he's worshipping Krishna with love, and Krishna's giving him things to say in his heart. Every time a different thing, something to say to the people. He said, this preaching is spontaneous, like this. So he was careful, he was kind to say that about me, but he was careful to instruct us not to let organization or intellectual strategy, which is important, not let it overshadow spontaneity and uh, let it foster spontaneity and enthusiasm. Oh, this is my whole experience so much in Krishna consciousness. As I said from the beginning, when I joined, they told me you have to do it like this. And I had my same experience with the GBC. You know, they called me one year in 1974, and I had been traveling and distributing books, and I would send all the money to Prabhupada. So they called me in and they asked me, who is your GBC? And I said, I don't know, I didn't even, hadn't thought about it. Karander was my GBC, but he had left. And so I was kind of on, that year I came to India at Prabhupada's request, and Prabhupada called me and said, oh, here you go and sell my books and then spend one month with me here in Mayapur, Vrindavan. So I was kind of under his care is the way I looked at it, and I just went out and I did that. I just sold the books all year and I came back, and then they brought me in and kind of gave me the third degree as if, you know, I wasn't following the, the system. But um, I said, I don't know, Karunda was, but he left. I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> he said, you have to have the GBC, you have to work under the GBC. I said, okay, I don't object. Said, oh, it's okay. So they went to Prabhupada, and then they, in those days they used to run their resolutions by Prabhupada, and he would say, yes, no, adjust this one and that one. So they came to me and they said, it's a Tripuraridas, and Prabhupada said, what has he done? <laughs> And they said, well, Prabhupada, uh, he doesn't have a GPC. And Prabhupada said, he does not need a GPC. He's distributing <laughs> my books. In other words, this is what this, this is what, how Prabhupada wanted to run the mission, that it should be run to foster spontaneity and love. And this kind of thing we want, what he's doing, we want that kind of enthusiasm. Who needs a GPC anymore? In other words, that's, that's what the organization is for, to foster that. And you want to you get in the way of that? No. Three of them were kind enough, because I wasn't in that meeting, I wasn't a GBC, I was just a small fellow, and so three of them were kind enough to come to me and say, you know, Prabhupada said this about you, and he told her, you didn't need a GBC. And that was the year that I took sannyas in Vrindavan two weeks later, after they had passed a resolution that no one can take sannyas without being recommended by the GBC and waiting one year. <laughs> so, so I don't mean to talk about myself, but I just, uh, some pertinent examples in my life make me answer your question like that. Be, this is the best way. And, and how to be like that? Keep good company. And then people will want to know. That was Prabhupada's idea about family life, that you, 
your family life in Krishna consciousness should be such that, you know, in India, if you go somewhere and you meet somebody on the train and they're traveling and they're stopping in your town, you invite them to your house. Oh, come, you stay with us. And once they stay, then that person can't leave. You can't ask them to leave because they're your guest. And it's awkward for him to ask. So somehow they'll find their way out. And it's that kind of, what's the system, rather affectionate dealings. So Prabhupada used to say that the grihasas should be such that if you meet someone and then at work or wherever and, and they talk to you and they find out what you're about, then, and then you invite them, well, come to my home and spend the night. <laughs> it's a lot in our culture, but <laughs> so, you about. so you have to modify it to some extent. But, <laughs> you come to my house, he said, and then you keep them there. Then they see what kind of person you are, what kind of your life is, it's so happy. And then they stay, and then they want to spend the night, one night, two nights, three nights, then they want to become devotee. <laughs> like that. He didn't say that you browbeat them with the absolute truth and so much dogma, but by your example, they will become charmed. You have to become, he said, ideal people. So, your Krishna consciousness should be integrated with everything you do. And it's real simple in a lot of respects, a simple formula. Krishna consciousness is about self forgetfulness. That's what love is. You forget yourself and do something. You know, like a person races into the house and saves the burning child in the fire and just then they give him all types of recognition. He says, well, how, why did you do that? I don't know. I wasn't there. I just, you know, I just did it. He forgot about himself. Something like that. So love is about self-forgetfulness. To get there, we have to move from selfishness to self-sacrifice, where we make a calculation. I should sacrifice. And from there, we can move to self-forgetfulness. So we should at least be on that level, self-sacrifice. And we should try to give up selfishness, pettiness. We should make an effort in every respect, everywhere we go, with everyone we meet. We have opportunities to confront us every day to give up selfishness. At the dinner table, in the workplace, everywhere. Krishna consciousness means this. You ever go to horror station in Calcutta, try to get on the train? or any station in India. Train pulls up, everybody's like a mob to get in and pushing, 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 pushing. That is material life. Krishna consciousness, you can just imagine the opposite. Everybody, you first. No, you go. It's like impossible to see that at the train station. So you may think that's impossible in the material world, but that's what Krishna consciousness is. You first. No, you first. Because the fact of the matter is, this is how real life works. Life, living, is a result of giving. That's what makes the whole world, real life, go round in every sense of the term. You will get, you will live, you will thrive, survive and thrive by giving. That's what we mean by sacrifice. We have to reach the pitch of giving that, that is love, where you aren't even thinking that you're giving. You're just doing it. What to speak about thinking about getting as a result of giving. We can get on board by hearing, I'll get by giving. Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. That's reasonable. That's the logic of it. But we have to do that. And, that. and that means not just in the temple I come and give. We should give to the temple. We should give to the preachers that propagate this kind of idea. That we should give of ourself. Ourself is our money. <laughs> Where our money goes, we go. I gave money there. What's he doing with it? How's it being spent? That's... 
So we give it to the right person, then they spend it the right way, and we say, oh, they're spending it on me in ways I couldn't have thought of. That kind of thing. So we should give there, that's true. We should give our energy there, but we should have an extended sense of, of what that means. By giving there, we should come to think about a life of giving and the opportunity to give everywhere in small ways in our life and give up this selfishness, petty-mindedness, you know, that's Krishna consciousness is about. So I'm sorry for going on. With Anything else? Well, um, in the verse, uh, Krishna says that he withholds himself from some people. Yeah. But apparently, Lord Chaitanya presents a different mood not withholding, but giving himself freely to all? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gives himself to everyone. He gives Krishna to everyone. That's true. But, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also gives Krishna to everyone relative to their eligibility. In a general sense, he doesn't seek eligibility. He creates faith in everyone, through Namsankirtan. And through Namsankirtan, he gives Krishna to everyone. But that's the secret, you see. You have to do Namsankirtan and get the result of Namsankirtan in your experience. Then you have to cultivate that in your experience to enter into the Kirtan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Nadia at Sriva Sangam. That's our ideal, our goal. So he gives, he gives the opportunity. Yes. He gives the opportunity. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, but he's Krishna's devotee. So while Krishna says, I don't give myself to, I, re, I refrain, I, I don't give myself to everyone, the devotee is the extension of Krishna's mercy, whereby he does give himself to everyone, especially in the person of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is Krishna as devotee. But at the same time, as I'm saying, he does and he, he doesn't. So... He does. He gives everyone the opportunity, but you have to take that opportunity, and quite a bit that that uh, involves to get Krishna. So Krishna is saying, "I don't give the t- myself to people unless they're they're qualified. I don't show myself." Chaitanya Mahaprabhu doesn't show everything to everybody all at once. He wants to show everything to everybody, but he does it in increments. Anything else? So, all right. Very kind of you to have me here, Haridas, and all of you to come. Some of you are probably senior members of uh, Prabhupada's mission to me, joined before me. I pay my respects to you. I hope that you don't think I'm impertinent in any way for speaking out. Some of you joined after me and are younger, and I'm happy to share with you. Some of you are newer than that, even. And it's my honor to, uh, to meet all of you. I hope I've been able to speak in such a way that everyone has benefited. Sometimes we go high side and the low side, so too high for some, too low for others. When listening, we have to think like that and show Krishna consciousness. Be patient when you're hearing that lower side. You know that. You think you know it. <laughs> and those who hear something over their head, you be patient. There are other people in the audience that need to hear those things also. Thank you. Jai. Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Bhutira Satira Goswami Maharaj ki jai, Srila Pisadanta Sastri Thakur Prabhupada ki jai, Gaur Bhaktivrinda ki jai, Gaur Premanandi.